This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, Episode 161. Good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what the title says it is, folks. It's a show where we focus on everything to do with fantasy and sci-fi books. We talk about space opera, epic fantasy, urban fantasy, military sci-fi, swords and sorcery, and everything else in between, because you can expect to find the best and brightest authors and books from all the various corners of the fantasy book world, the sci-fi book world, and anything else I can think of. We'll bring it to you here on the show each week. For my author update, let's go ahead and kick things off by telling you what I've been up to. I'm wrapping up a new short story set in the Extreme Medical Services series that I'm writing for an upcoming anthology that'll be coming out later this spring. Once that's finished, I'll be digging into the second pass edits on The Paramedic's Sorceress. After that, it's off to the editor and proofreader, and I'm excited about that because I want to get this one finished so the readers can get their hands on it. I know a lot of my um, favorite readers for that series are are really clamoring for the next book, so I'm really excited to get it ready for them. So stay tuned for more updates. You can check out more information about what I'm up to, including sneak peeks of upcoming covers, special giveaways, including a t-shirt giveaway this month, and a lot more by visiting my fan group on Facebook, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers. Join the group, come over, and join the fun. Um, We also have more information, if you want, about my books and other things over at jamiedavisbooks.com, my website. Okay, on this episode, our special guest is author Brand J. Alexander. Brand is an American author of epic fantasy from small town Indiana. He grew up losing himself in the created worlds of Robert Jordan and Terry Brooks and dreaming one day being an author in the same literary style and tradition. After the shock of Robert Jordan's death and the trying battle of his own with stage four cancer, Brand quickly discovered the imperative of capturing one's dreams now before time runs out. With that newfound wisdom, he got to work and within a year published the first two novels of his epic debut fantasy series, Tears of Hetsune, Rise of Tears and Fall of Tears. Emboldened by those successes, he's continued to create and develop new stories and series for the universe of Brand J. Alexander, always pursuing his dream to share as many of his worlds and adventures as possible with the gift of time that fortune has granted him. So check out my interview with Brand. It's coming right up. Brand J. Alexander, it's great to have you here on the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, a little bit about um, how you got started writing. Well, um, I'm 40 years old. I live in a small town in Indiana. Uh, I spent basically my whole life writing. I My mom used to have us make up stories, bedtime stories at night about my stuffed animal dragon. So I was always kind of writing stories for as long as I can remember. Uh, always pretty much dreamed of being an author. I was writing throughout my whole life, um, but I never really completed anything. I was always too picky and would tear it apart. Uh, back in 2015, well, before 2015, um, I'm a big fan of Robert Jordan. And during Jordan's passing, that kind of struck me really hard. Um, passing before he got a chance to finish his series kind of made me 
begin realizing that I didn't want to have the same thing happen to me. So I began writing again and started focusing on it. Shortly after then, I came down with stage four cancer, which really made me think about it. But after surviving about eight months of chemo and going through all that, I basically sat down and finished my first novels, the Tears of Hatsune series, within like eight months afterwards and basically said, you know, this is my dream. I'm going to get it done. And I made sure I got it done. Well, that kind of life-changing event must have really um, given you a whole new focus. Oh, yeah. I I spent the eight months um, – my brain was too messed up during the chemo to really write. But I basically spent that whole eight months basically looking through, you know, if I make it through this, I'm, I'm sitting down. I'm going to finish these stories. I'm going to – I, I'm going to share these stories that I've needed to tell for all this time. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember when, when Jordan died and the, you know, the, the way I, I was like, that story's never going to get finished. And luckily, luckily for all of us fans, you know, Brandon Sanderson was able to pull it, the, the notes together with, with, you know, oh, Jordan's widow and, and, and bring an ending to that series. But my goodness, it was it was devastating to so many of us, and and um, oh. yeah, I, I'm super thankful. Um, I picked up the Wheel of Time, basically my my introduction to fantasy. So my mother was kind of the one who kind of got me into like making up stories. But when I was younger, probably about seven years old, my father handed me The Hobbit, and then introduced me to his massive collection of fantasy. And the Wheel of Time was one of the early books that I picked up, um, series that I picked up back in the early 90s. So I've been following it for all the years. Like, I think the latest was, I think my father was only four books in before he'd released the others. And every time a new book would come out, I began at the very beginning and read through the whole entire series again each time. It was just that much of a ritual for me. And seriously, the world of Robert Jordan, um, it was like coming home every time. Like, I, I almost had the quote, uh, the opening quote from all of his books written across the uh, top of the ceiling, um, top of the wall in my office, because it was that much of a memory for me. Yeah, it, it's it's quite an expansive work. And one of the things that I've always found special about it was the way that his characters seem to just seem so real and and connected in a way that, that made me want to come back and learn more about them. I mean, it, it was one of the things that made me focus on character driven story rather than just coming up with a, a plot idea and, and making it work. Oh yeah. I, with me, with Jordan, I think mine was uh, his world building. I like the fact that he, he introduced the different people and the different facets of each culture to the point where within like the first page of him introducing a new character, just the little peculiar ticks that they have, the little traits that they told, you could usually tell kind of where they were from just because he had developed such rich cultures that, you know, the same as you can go around the country and meet somebody with an accent and be like, yeah, I know where you're from. That that was how rich and, and, and defined his cultures were. You just felt that with it. That was kind of one of the things. World building is a big thing with me and partially because of what he had created and how much he drew me into his world that way. Yeah, it, it's it's just so expansive. And, and, and I I I agree with you completely. It, it, it's I, I think we're just looking at two different sides of the same coin with what drew oh, yeah. us into the series because, you know, the world building and the characters are, are all intertwined so carefully within his story. Oh yeah. So, um, 
when you when you came to writing your own series and your own books, um, you know there aren't many authors that sit down and write two books in the first year of, of really sitting down and writing. Um, that's that's you know, usually that that first book it takes a little bit more time to come out. Was this the series that you'd been thinking about for a while, or w- did you just you know when you decided to finally sit down and start writing, you just went at it? So I've been right. I have like a whole filing cabinet full of series that I've been attempting to write throughout my life. But um, this one, as I said, when Jordan passed, I, uh, I sat down and I began developing this series. I had gotten into chapter two of it before the cancer hit. And then I just completely dropped it. And when I came back to it, uh, it took me about a year to really get my brain and everything after the chemo and everything going and get myself back to where I could actually sit down and do it. Um, it actually started out as one book. Um, the, the series is tears of Hatsune, which was originally supposed to be the title of the first book. But, um, when I sat down, I wrote, it was 474,000 words when I got done with it. Wow. And so I kind of sat down and went, uh, I got to break this up. So that's when it became rise of tears and fall of tears. But yeah, I, I had, as I said, when I sat through that eight months of chemo, I kind of had my brain going about this and, and, and developing it and developing it more. So I've kind of had that development with it, but yeah, no, for the most part, I sat down during that eight months and just kept going until I could get it done. So tell us, tell us a little bit about the story. Okay. Um, well, it kind of introduces my universe right from the get-go. It's uh, kind of the genesis of everything that unfolds after that and, and all of the series that I write. Um, but this is the very first world that was created, and the creator of this world is kind of experimenting in that aspect and introduced gods to the world and let them go on their way. Well, they created a beautiful paradise and then basically messed it up. And so everything collapses. The people overthrow the gods, uh, and the world kind of withers into a sort of post-apocalyptic disaster without the gods. It's been a thousand years since then. Everybody's kind of recovered from the disaster after the gods, but the world's not really what it used to be. And it takes place with a tribe of people who have kind of lived in a wasteland that was left over after the, the fall of the gods, uh, the uh, <laughs> you have the, the main chieftain and the main character is the son of the chieftain. He's just come into manhood. He's just come into kind of his learning his role in the world and starts be discovering more about his people and who they are. They are, are the conjugal seekers of the greatness lost, um, but they don't really know what the greatness lost is. He kind of questions whether it's the gods and the divine power that used to be in the world. Um, but that begins to kind of unfold as he discovers, because even though the world kind of found a balance after after the gods fell, now more things are happening and the world's beginning to wither. And an old the old storyteller of the tribe basically comes to him and starts saying, you know, now you're coming to the age where you are going to be taking over for your father or preparing to take over for your father. And there are some things you need to learn. And basically, it's the discovery um, Asan is going to begin learning about his people and how they were affected by the gods when they still existed and how that has carried on through their bloodline throughout until now and how that may actually affect them being able to do something about what's happening to the world today. And 
goes through, they end up being hunted for the reason for what's in their bloodline and basically take off into their dying world and have to kind of survive through that. But the majority of it is, is Asan coming into his strength and power as learning his place as a chieftain against his father because his father's very stubborn and very prideful and they clash quite a bit and through everything that goes through, it's kind of book one is them really fighting it out. Wow. And, and you've made it um, into book two books. Is, there, is that complete at two or do you think you're going to have more coming after that? I'm currently writing book three and I plan on there being five when it's finally t- told. Excellent. Um, so, you know, building a, building a quite an expansive world, just from hearing you explain what, what all has happened, it's clear you have a, a, an understanding of the history um, and, and really what's driven this world to, be, to reach the point where it begins the story. So that, that's, that's always exciting to have that kind of background and, and understanding what's going on. History is a really big thing with my story in this. Um, there's throughout a lot of the story, there's a lot of these blips where you get to kind of view what the world used to be um, before the gods fell and what the world is now. And that connection between those two kind of switches back and forth. You have old Dern, who is the storyteller of the tribe. He's a really old man who just basically knows everything. And he's kind of guiding us on through this basically Every 10 years, the tribes of the Kanjagal, these people, go to something known as the Dahara, which is their different tribes travel across the lands seeking the greatness lost. Every 10 years, they gather to kind of go over new laws, go over setting up the tribes, kind of establishing everything. Before Asan goes there, there's things he needs to know. So Dern kind of takes him down the path of teaching him uh, basically, one, everything he needs to know to be the chieftain's heir. But beyond that, Dern kind of hints that he's the only one who can help with what's happening in the world right now and kind of hints at why the the world they used to be in was a paradise. It's a gorgeous tiered area of lands that kind of rise up from the, um, the ocean shore. Uh, they used to be waterfalls and vibrant with lush life. And now it's basically a wasteland, but they exist there because they're a harsh nomadic people. But as you go through, you get to see glimpses of what the world used to be and what it is now. Asan has grown up thinking, you know, my world is beautiful. This is the land that I love. But then he finds out that it's actually a shell of what it once was. Asan sounds like a great character to follow through this journey. Um, you know, to see how he discovers his way. Um, so I, it sounds exciting for people to follow. Um, I was looking at your author page on Amazon. You have some other books, um, the, um, the Ravenfell Chronicles um, that you also have out there. Um, are they, uh, they look maybe horror fantasy or something like that? They're kind of a dark fantasy, spooky ghost kind of story. Um, They exist outside of my fantasy universe. Basically, uh, every year for Halloween, I put on a basically Halloween yard haunt, Ravenfell Manor. I transform the entire yard over with all hand-built props and scenes and designs. And basically, I do a food drive for the community and everything. Well, year two of me working on this, Somebody basically said, you know, all the best haunts have a story. Well, me being an author went, oh, really? So I sat down and I wrote the very first, which was The Legend of Ravenfell Manor, which was kind of a 
short little glimpse into why Ravenfell Manor appeared every year around Halloween. And then people kept asking about the different the scenes and the characters. And so I sat down and I basically, it's a kind of a combination. Um, several of them are short stories. Several of them are novella length. Uh, the, the series is complete at four, basically. And it tells the story of basically the origin stories of all the characters that appear here every Halloween, and, as well as the origin of Ravenfell Manor. That sounds awesome. And and I love that you do that in your community to, to create that, that haunted you know, haunted house and in your yard like that. What, what drew you to do that? Is that something you've always done or is it just something that, that you felt suddenly drawn to do? When I was a kid, there was an old Marine that lived down one of the places where I used to go trick or treating. And he, like, he didn't do what we did. He had the, uh, the big camo camp net that he would put over his whole yard. So you'd have to go in underneath and walk through the path all the way to get to his house. And he'd have some of his friends there in ghillie suits that would jump up and scare you. And it was the scariest house on the block. Now, you would get full-size candy bars when you got there. Um, but it, when I, it was the one place I looked forward to whenever I was a kid. And I swore when I had a house that... I was going to be that house. I was going to be the Halloween house. And, and the first year I got a house, uh, that Halloween I went and I just started buying stuff. And we kind of set up something really quick. Uh, the next year I started playing around with building. And then by year three, I really started building. So the majority, like 90, 95% of what you see here at our haunt now is all handmade original. You won't see it anywhere else. I build all kinds of things. The whole yard transforms. And it's kind of nice because it's one of the one times a year where the fantasy from my stories uh, comes to life. I can actually walk down the pathways of Ravenfell Manor. Um, and it's not really like gore and, you know, scary. I kind of consider it dark enchantment. And I say it's kind of like a dark fantasy. Um, the stories kind of revolve around mostly around death, but it's uh, a raven peers beyond the veil and discovers more than he thought and becomes basically a, a harbinger of death, a, a protector of the veil between the worlds, and then he ends up becoming bonded to a family, the Ravenfells, and basically between their bond between the Raven King and the Ravenfells, they kind of, they have darkness and they are definitely dark characters, like you wouldn't want to run into them in the natural world, but they're kind of anti-hero heroes <laughs> they protect the veil and protect the world from the side the veil um the spirits of death from the other side but at the same time they're also not exactly very kind to death to the living either <laughs> i love that and and you know i mean i love that you have taken a, a story and created it in in reality in your in your yard like that at, at at a time of year when everyone's looking for something to uh to uh, kind of give themselves a, a, an escape, and, and you've done that. Um, it must be quite awesome to be in your neighborhood. Oh, it's you can you can see my house from from down the block. But we have as soon as it, I it takes about three months. I usually start planning in July, August. I start designing and working and building props, and then usually Labor Day. Uh, the columns, kind of the bones of the manor start coming out, but we have people from all around the neighborhood end up uh, t 
taking extra trips down our block. We have school buses that will detour down our block during that time because the kids want to see basically because it, it's it's a slow process. I mean, it takes so much to put up that you get a little bit more each day. So everything kind of slowly transforms and take over takes over until Ravenfell Manor is there. That's really cool. Um, and, and just, just awesome that you do that. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that, that a lot of authors strive to find that way to connect with people. Um, and, and you've, you found a very unique way of doing that and, and then, and then way to weave a story into it as well to give, to take care of that storytelling side of yourself, um, that you've, you've said is so important to you. Oh yeah. I, I, I always, have told, as I said, from when I was little, my mother used to, you know, have me make up the stories. And even here, as I was designing the different props, I would devise the stories behind, you know, what they were and who they were and why they were. And you'd have the kids going, what's that? And I'd be able to tell them, well, that's, you know, that's Goliath, the pumpkin lord, or, you know, that's, that's Fenris, the werewolf. As I go through and begin to tell them the different stories of the characters, you know, when you see their eyes light up, because it's not just, well, that's just a werewolf. It's There's something more behind it. And yeah, so that just kind of led into me basically deciding I've got to write these stories. I, I had already written the Tears of Hatsune or begun writing the Tears of Hatsune series. Uh, I kind of took a break when I went to do the Ravenfell Chronicles because – one, I wanted to get the feel for self-publishing, and so that was one of the stories that I first put out there. And so I kind of flipped back and forth between that's like I just finished the series back this past December, and then now I'm back doing book three from the Tears of Hatsune series. No, it's just awesome. And, um, you know, I always ask the authors, you know, where they like to connect with readers, but you found a, a really cool way to do that, at least for some of your stories, um, to, to, to show people what, you, what you're capable of. Um, and, and, um, create, create something unique at the same time. Um, so when you do reach out to folks and, and are starting to connect with readers for the, um, for Tears of Hatsune, do you, um, have a particular place you like to make that connection? Everywhere I can. I'm, I'm still, I'm kind of building my community at the moment, uh, still trying to get readers in and get people. I, uh, I interact with people on Facebook. I interact with people on my uh, website and blog. Um, I also interact on Twitter, all under Brand J Alexander. You can pretty much find them all there. Uh, that's the majority of where I interact with people right now through different social media. <laughs> yeah, great. No, and, and it's good for folks to know where to find you. Um, and um, I'll have links to your website and um, your, your um, Facebook page and Twitter stuff on the show notes for this episode, because um, I, I think folks are going to want to connect with you and see what you're up to um, because uh, you've got a lot to offer. It seems like uh, not just in your community, but to the community at large. So that's really cool. Um, Brand, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it's, it's great to have you join us uh, uh, and continued good luck. Can we, can we figure out, um, do you have an idea of when the book three will be available? Book three is I'm, right now on chapter three of it. So it's, I, I'm looking towards the end of the year. Okay. No, something that hopefully by the end of 2021, we'll have a, a new book in the tears of Hatsune and, uh, you can be, uh, people can get started with the first two books and, uh, be ready to continue on when book three drops later this year. Um, Brand, yes. thanks for coming on the show. 
Well, thank you very much for having me. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Make sure you catch up with us for a whole lot more from the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Focus community. Of course, you'll find us in the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Focus group on Facebook, or you can also go over to the website fantasy-focus.com. Leave a comment on this episode and let me know what's on your mind. Also on the website, while you're over there, if you go to each podcast episode post, you'll find links to subscribe to the show with your favorite mobile app, iOS, Android, or even by email if you want, so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. We've got a lot of great authors coming up for you, including our next show featuring author Cully Mack. That's it for this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook in my group at Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers or at my website, jamiedavisbooks.com. Whatever you do, though, subscribe. Come back here for the next podcast episode. And in the meantime, don't forget to keep your eyes open out there, folks. I always remind you, because there's magic all around you.